0: What do you feel about change? Do you do you like change? Huh, some people like change. Some people You're mediocre. I know Ange doesn't like change. <laughs> some people really like change, don't they? Some people do. Some people don't. And uh, Anne's is one. You know, I'll I'll embrace change if I understand why we have got to change things. And you know, if I don't understand it. Resist change at all costs, you know, and dig in. And uh, <coughs> I started thinking about that as we, you know, take some steps towards the next season in the, the life of our church. You know, clearly there are some changes coming up, a lot of change. Um, but actually, if you've been around a church for any length of time, you probably think, actually, <laughs> not only are we no longer strangers to arms, we're not really strangers to change. You know, change shouldn't be something that really phases us, because we've gone through lots and lots of changes in the past, and yeah, we'll deal with change as, as it comes along. You know, I was thinking about the time many, many years ago we were meeting um, in a dance studio, <laughs> of all places, in the leisure centre for full worship. So that's where we met in the dance studio, uh, and then an opportunity came along for us to actually use a disused car showroom. Uh, and uh, so we were going to actually go do that and I, but I can remember at the time God actually um, getting me to sort of capture the vision and the purpose of what we were all about <clears throat> and I think what he, he, there was like a distinct theme at the time on keeping it simple you know um, what I was just conscious of is when you get into your own building is there's this temptation to uh, fill it with programs and fill it with ministries, lots of stuff You know, doing loads and loads and loads of things. And I just think as a small church well, we wasn't even a small church, we were a micro church. We were a dozen people or so. To try and just get into the programmes and staff and ministries, it would just been so costly to us in so many different ways. Well obviously financially. But just in terms of our energy and resources, people, time, it's just it would have been so costly, would it just out. And not to mention, it would have been quite distracting. And so I just felt God say, keep focused on the things that I've asked of you. And, and, and that's the same now. As we're kind of stepping towards a new season of change um, again, I just get a sense that God cautioning us again to remain focused. Keep focused on you know, what business we're about, what we're actually about. What we, what's the family business? And so that's what I want to share over the next uh, few weeks. Is we're going to take a look at some of the fundamental things, um, th- things about living the Jesus way, things about things that will actually transform our lives, transform your life, transform my life from the inside out. Um, and so there we're going to re- you know, go over a number of things. Do you remember as well? We're actually going to come off the back of some of the things I was saying last week. I was saying last week how if we're going to remain focused and we're going to remain on track with the things that God has called us to do, if we're going to step into the destiny that God has for us as a people, then each of us, we need to hear his voice. We need to hold on tight to the things that he speaks to us about. Don't let it go because it'll be challenged. There'll be adversity and we need to hold on to those things. We need to be prepared to take some risks. And then, above all, we need to walk with him into those things. We can't afford to distance ourselves, just go it alone, so to speak. I've um, called this series Living It. Actually, come up. (laughs) Living It. I think when I actually say that, we should do Living It. You know, as (laughs) (laughs) well. Living It. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, living it, we really looking, I'm really looking forward actually to actually getting into this, um, but what I want to start off with talking about living it, living it out, living the Jesus way, I just want to start talking about that person, I want to start talking about Jesus of Nazareth, that, that Jesus, and there's just so much you can actually say about Jesus, Jesus was a, a, a lot of things, I mean, we know him best as the son of God, don't we? Son of God. But you know, he was also the Messiah. He was also, well, another word for that is the Christ. It just means uh, the long-awaited anointing one. He was those things too. But you know, if you was a first century Jew, and you were going down to the synagogue one day, and Jesus was there, and he showed up, and he's going to teach, the odds are that there a bit, the category that you would put Jesus into would be that of a rabbi. He would be a rabbi. Now, re- rabbi is the Hebrew word which literally means teacher. Uh, and a rabbi then was a teacher who would just travel from town to town with his yoke. <laughs> and what I mean by his yoke, his yoke was kind of like a first century idiom. It was a, a, a saying. It was meaning, basically, a set of teachings. It was the set of teachings of the rabbi, or it was his way of reading and interpreting the Torah and how we should live, you know, the, you know, the Bible of his day. Do you remember one day that Jesus came up to, to a bunch of people and said, Come to me, all of you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He went on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. You know what he was actually saying there, there was, hey, You know, among all of the interpretations and all the teachings that come out of the Torah, people's interpretation of the Torah, and how to live life, listen to and adopt and take on my way. Because my way is so less burdensome, it's so much more easy. Take my way. Take my yoke. And so that's what Jesus was. was. He was a rabbi, and actually he was... He's kind of a boy, really, from a boy, a young man. Really a uh, non-typical rabbi from the north, northern area of um, Israel in the first century. And of the 90 or so times, interactions, pe- people speaking to Jesus that we have recorded in the Gospels, of the 90 or so times, 60 of those times are people referring to him as rabbi or teacher. Now I just think actually this little detail about Jesus, the fact that he's a rabbi, it actually has all sorts of significant implications to what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. Now that's a phrase that we use quite a bit around (laughs) at the vineyard here. We are followers of Jesus we might say. Now for me that kind of came about, about 10 or 12 years ago. I kind of got a little bit discontented with the noun Christian, <laughs> that, that that description Christian. Well, for starters, I was thinking, you know, as evangelicals, there is this um, emphasis, a burden that we've got to be biblical. You know, we it's, it's evangelicals we've got to be biblical in all that we say and all that we do. And actually, in the Bible, the people who were that closely associated to Jesus seldom called themselves Christians. <laughs> we want to be biblical. <laughs> um, in fact, they never called themselves Christians. It was other people that called them Christ, uh, Christians. And it was often they were saying something derogatory <laughs> about them. It was kind, The tone was kind of like, oh, there they are, them Christians. Those little Christs. That's what it meant, little saviors. It's kind of like oh, those, the goody two-shoes over there. <laughs> you know that sort of negative connotation is, that is the way people called them. what they called them. And yet, many have fought long and hard to actually defend that title. We've got to keep that title. We are Christians. You can't mess with that. It's a sacred word. And you know. But further to that, I was also somewhat uh, unnerved. I don't think it's the right word. Um, kind of put off by the by some of the people and the groups that called themselves. Christians, and they did despicable things in the name of that religion associated with Christians, Christianity. And so <laughs> well, it's really difficult it's, um, to try and kind of combat and uh, yeah, come against the negative sort of thoughts that people outside of the church have towards people when they say that phrase, I'm a Christian. It's really hard to combat their negative thoughts when they're also thinking about those people, those groups that I just think, man, don't call yourself a Christian. <laughs> if you're going to do that thing, just don't call yourself a Christian. Don't use his name, you know. But having said that, you know, I think even I am a follower of Jesus has the potential to be a, a negative thing. I maybe not have a positive edge to it. I think I'm a follower of Jesus can, can become a bit of a cliché um, phrase. Statement. Um, And you know, I think for some, I don't think we really know what we mean by that when we say, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm trying to follow Jesus. So that's what I want to look at today is what do we mean by that? To follow Jesus. Why is it to follow Jesus? What I'm going to do is just look at some passages of scripture um, and I kind of talk about Jesus the rabbi and um, we'll unpack. What it means to us to actually be a follower uh, of Jesus and how we actually follow Jesus. So, if you want to follow, we're looking in, in the Gospel of Mark. So, you know, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, second Gospel. Mark chapter 1. If you've got your mobile devices. And it's coming in at verse 16. <coughs> Uh-huh. And it's up on the screen too. So Mark 1.16 says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they, uh, so they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Other versions said, I will make you fishes of men. At once they left the nets and followed him. Verse 19 uh, when he had gone a little further he saw James son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and they followed him if we turn to chapter 2 of Mark's gospel from verse 13 it says once again Jesus went out beside the lake a great, uh, large crowd came to him and he began to teach them as he walked along he saw Levi son of Alphaeus Uh, sitting at at the tax collector's booth again follow me Jesus told him and Levi got up and followed him next chapter again chapter 3 verse 13 again Jesus went up to the mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons these are the twelve that he appointed. Simon, who he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee and his brother John. To them he gave the name... Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, so it's some word. <laughs> he gave some word, which means sons of thunder. Um, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Tidious, I'm told that's the way it's pronounced, Tidius, Simon, Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And then the last one is in chapter 8 from verse 34. It says, Then he called the the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet profit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, over and over again, it's kind of a pattern uh, emerged in Jesus' interactions in the things that he said to people. The call of Jesus was not, hey, you guy, girl, whoever, hey, come, uh, uh, you know, uh, will you believe in me? You can call yourself a Christian. You get to go to heaven when you die. It, 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 was, nothing <laughs> it was nothing like that. His call was so clear. It was, hey, Come follow me. Come follow me. Or another way of translating that is, Come and be my disciple. Come follow me. Or, come and be my disciple. Now that word disciple in the Hebrew is talmudim. Why don't you have a go at saying talmudim. One, two, three. Yeah. Get our church speaking Hebrew. Um, talmudim. And talmudim can also be translated as Follower or uh, student. Now unfortunately I don't think those English equivalents really do it justice. They don't really capture what Talmudim is about. See nowadays when you think about following somebody, you think about Facebook, don't you? And uh Instagram and following them is just like liking their pictures that they put well that's not they wasn't liking Jesus's pictures on Facebook. When they followed him. <laughs> also when you think um, about a student, you think about an individual who's fresh into college and pens and pencils and paper and taking notes in class. in is just so, so much more than, than all of those things. Probably a word that actually comes close to that true meaning of the word is apprentice. Apprentice. To be a disciple was to apprentice under a, a, a rabbi. Now maybe this, this may come as a bit of a surprise to some of you. But discipleship wasn't invented by Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> some of you, really? It wasn't invented by Jesus. There were actually other rabbis before and after Jesus. Some were quite popular, had many, many disciples, followers, apprentices. Um, actually... Discipleship never originated in Israel either. I mean, some, like 400 years or so earlier in uh, Greece, for example, Plato. Plato was a disciple of the philosopher Socrates. So, you know, discipleship, disciples, they've been around for a long, long, long time. Certainly, by Jesus' day, it had become more common, a common component of society, certainly across the whole of, of the Mediterranean society. Okay, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to risk uh, losing some of you. You're going to kind of probably phase out now. Uh, I'm just going to unpack a little bit about what it was to be a disciple in first century uh, Israel. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, like all the his, you know, sort of nerdy history stuff. So you kinda glaze over and you'll go to sleep up. Uh, Try and stick with me. It's, it's actually quite important that we, we do keep hold of this. Within the first century uh, Jewish educational system, it was basically set up in essentially kind of three layers, three sections. The first was Bet Sefer. You know when you say Bet Sefer? Betsepha. Bet now that's a Hebrew phrase which literally means the house of the book. And this was schooling for youngsters that were aged between 6 to 12 years old. <coughs> Now, essentially, this is where you would learn to read and write and basic elementary maths and and those sorts of things. But here you were also taught to memorise most, if not all, of the Torah. So, the first five books of our Old Testament, if you picture them, to memorise those by the age of 12. (laughs) That's pretty stunning. there's, There's a lot to remember. Then there's another layer. By the way, beyond that stage, unfortunately, Jewish education was kind of targeted towards males, to boys, okay? Sorry, ladies. Sorry, girls. Um, actually, girls, if, if you were female, then you would actually probably be married and be thumping out children by the time you were 13, 14 years of age. That's just what you did. But as 13 or 14, if you were a male, um, you would apprentice to your father and start to learn the family trait. But if you were the best of the best in your, in your Bet, um, Sefer, Bet Sefer class, you moved on to this second level of education. And this was called Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash. And this means the house of learning or the house of study. And this was a school which was built solely for male students, okay, the, the lads, between the age of 13 and 15. Here they were taught by a full-time paid teacher. And actually here you were expected to memorise most, if not all, of the Jewish scriptures. All of our Old Testament, the bigger portion of our Bible, had to be memorised. It was up there in in their mind. By the age of 15. So by that point, by the time you're 15, everybody's done with education I've I've, I've had enough of education if you failed at that point you were told okay go and pursue your family business in other words you don't cut it you're not not there academically I'm real sorry you don't make it but the best of the best of the best okay the the top gun if you like uh, the Oxford elite sort of um, graduate of the Jewish education system they would go on to Bet Talmud Bet Talmud The Talmud Now this is where you actually became a disciple A Talmudin um, It's an apprentice to a rabbi Now this is the third level It's the hardest and the longest level of education And only a very select few <coughs> even managed to get into it This is, as I say, it's the longest period It's from the age of about 15 up to 30 Now to be accepted into Bet Talmud, you would have to sit through a real rigorous uh, interview stage with a a rabbi. He would interview you, he would question you, interrogate you. um, And as he was questioning you, if he thought, I think you're going to be smart enough, I think you're intelligent enough, I think you've got the drive, I think you've got the work ethic to actually become a rabbi yourself someday. So if that, that was the case, he would turn to you and say something like, come and follow me come and be my Talmudian uh, yeah Talmudian. intense isn't it <laughs> really intense system okay now imagine that you, you got through all of those levels you got through all of the, you were male okay so you're male now you, you got through all of those levels you uh, learnt the whole of the Torah memorised the Torah you've learnt the whole of the, the Jewish scriptures the Old Testament You've passed all the interrogation and the questioning from the rabbi. So you now become an apprentice. Now, as an apprentice, <clears throat> you would essentially have three goals for yourself. Three goals as an apprentice of a rabbi. You would f- your first goal would be to be with your rabbi. A goal is to be with your rabbi. Now, this is a 24-7 arrangement. Okay, So it's not like uh, I'm at college we got classes on monday, wednesday and friday <laughs> this is all day every day you went everywhere that your rabbi went you followed him you spent you had all of your daily meals with him you slept alongside him you you were just with him all of the time there was a well-known blessing at the time that uh, went something like may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, and it wasn't—it wasn't a kind of metaphorical thing. It was literal. I mean, they were saying, "May you be covered in the dust <laughs> of your rabbi." If you can imagine, following around this rabbi all day, all day—you know was walking on the dusty road, the desert roads. The whole idea is that you were blessed if you had walked so closely to him that, as he walked and kicked up the dust from the road, that you—that close, he kind of landed on you. Okay, so they say, you're, you're best if you, you're covered in the, in the dust uh, of your rabbi. So you're close to him all day. If I come back at the end, every day. So your first goal then is to be with your rabbi. The second goal is to become like your rabbi. you remember earlier, um, Jesus said to Simon and Andrew and some of the others, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. Remember that? Yeah, fishers fish, fish of men. Now, most of the time we kind of read that and we think it's kind of a cheesy play on words because they were kind of fishermen and he was saying, oh, I mean, fishermen and fishers of men and, of men and it, you know, just kind of playing words. But in actual fact, that phrase, fisher of men, was a well known Hebrew saying. And to be a fisher of it was referring to you as a great teacher. You're a great teacher teacher kind of like a super rabbi he was called a fisher of men and, and he was called a fisher of men because for sure I mean, he'd be able to capture your mind he'd be able to capture your imagination as he shared his teaching he was a fisher of men so in this phrase where Jesus is saying listen what he's saying is listen you, you're a fisherman but if you come and you follow me I'll make you into a great teacher you know, I'm a rabbi, I'm a great teacher, but if you follow me, I'm going to make you into a great teacher as well. And that, that's really the essence of a, apprenticeship. Um, in Jesus' day, the, the goal was to become it's like a carbon copy of your rabbi. I actually followed him around all day. You're literally imitating everything that he did. His tone, the tone of his voice, his mannerisms, the way he dressed, the way, the way he ate. You know, he went to the toilet. You, no, 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 really. I tell you, when I, I was thinking about this, I, I, I have um, like a Monty Python sketch go through my head. And I just think of... Uh, a rabbi go, you know, being caught short and running into a cubicle, <laughs> and turning around and there's like two, three guys. It's like, <laughs> sorry, it's this the way my head goes. Um, pray for me. Um, they imitated everything, everything about him. So first thing is um, be with your rabbi. Second, be like your rabbi. And then the third goal of, of an apprentice in Jesus' day, was to do what your rabbi did. You're going to do what your rabbi did. Now remember the passage earlier that I read out that Jesus, he sent out his apprentices to preach and have authority over, uh, uh, and drive out demons, remember that? Now essentially that's what Jesus had been doing. He'd been preaching the message of the kingdom and driving out demons and healing in the sick and all that sort of stuff. So this would be your third goal as a, a talmudim. That at some point you 're going to be up there it 's going to be your turn, and you 're going to actually be doing the stuff that your rabbi did. Remember the whole point of apprenticeship was that you know, for one day you 're going to actually become a rabbi yourself and the hope is is that through all of the years of training, all the years of following around your rabbi that you 're going to actually perpetuate the yoke of him, His teachings and how you should live according to the scriptures. That's the whole idea, is that you're going to perpetuate and continue uh, that on. Okay. Enough of the history lesson already, Ron. You can come back now if you fell asleep. Oh, alarm Park. Okay. Um, history over. Let's just kind of you know, flip this around now. From first century... To 21st century, and from Israel to Daventry, to follow Jesus. Then, this is to apprentice under our Rabbi Jesus. What does that mean exactly? Well, what that means exactly is that you restructure, you reorder your life around those exact three same three things, those same three goals. So, firstly. We make it our goal to be with Jesus. That's our goal. We want to be with Jesus. And this is, like, this is paramount. This is of utmost importance that we spend every waking moment that we possibly have with our Rabbi Jesus. So how do we do that? Now you're probably thinking to yourself, well... But Jesus isn't here with us physically like he was with the disciples. You know, he's, he's, he's at the right end of the Father. You know, we know that. We've read that somewhere. Um, h- how do we do that? We, he's not here right now. So how can I spend time with him? Well, the short answer to that, and we're going to dig some more into this next week, by the way, is that it's through a relationship with the Spirit, with the Spirit of Jesus. So it means that as followers of Jesus, as apprentices of Jesus, our number one goal is learning to live in a continual state of awareness of and in connection to the Holy Spirit. So I say that again. It's learning to live in an ongoing state of awareness of and in connection to the Holy Spirit. And that is essentially what undergirds all of life in the Kingdom of God. That's you know it's a fundamental basis point of life with Him. It means that we start to carve out time in our morning or in our night or just in, through times during that the day where we touch God and we connect with God and we communicate with Him and communicate the things of our day. You know some of Jesus' most famous teaching can be found in John's Gospel, chapter fifteen, where He talks about being the true vine. Do you remember that? He talked about him being the true vine and us being branches and he was just saying how hey, we need to be constantly connected in to the true vine we need to be with him continually Dallas Willard have anybody heard of Dallas Willard Nobody said of Dallas Willard oh well wow. you surprise me church Dallas Willard is a real uh, respected uh, philosopher guy from this century actually he wrote many many christian uh, bu- uh, books on christian spiritual formation really respected um, teacher this is a quote of his in relation to this he said the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls our part in this practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But hey, these are just habits. They're not the law of gravity and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as a needle of the compass constantly returns to the north. I love that. If God is the greatest longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. Whew! I had to read that a good few times because that is just like, I love those words. You see, that's what it's all about. It's all about living in that constant state of awareness of and connection to God all day long, every day. And you know what? That takes practice. That takes practice. And this is why we call them spiritual practices here. Some people call them spiritual disciplines. I'm not keen on that word. But spiritual practices of uh, Jesus. And that's what they're for. uh, We're talking about things like silence and uh, solitude. We're talking about things like prayer and fasting. Things like reading the Bible and observing the Sabbath. All those sorts of things. Now, in order to develop a mature, uh, to develop and mature in ourselves as apprentices of Jesus, do you know what? There's no scooting around this. There's no shortcuts around that. Those processes. Throughout your your day, throughout your week, throughout your entire life, it's like just take moments to t- to take your foot off the accelerator for a moment, and slow down, and stop sometimes. Take a breath and just be present. Just be present with God. And once and you're in that moment, just recognising, oh God, you're there too. <laughs> I, I knew you were always there, but you know, I, I, I wasn't. And, and, but now I am God, I'm here. And I just want to you know, just step away from the hustle and bustle and the busyness, the craziness of life. And yet yeah, there's all these things that still need to be done. You know, all those emails that still need to be answered, all the phone calls that still need to be made. But I just want to step away from those for a moment and just simply be with you. Sharing this moment uh, together, you and me, God. I've got to tell you, I struggle with this. I'll be honest, is my confession. I really do. I I have a hard time. Um, I I really have to work, uh, (coughs) work hard at it practicing God's presence. You know, there have been times where I literally have to take myself away, you know, out of town, to actually do that. I've been uh, able to go on a couple of retreats over this last year or so. And again, it's just kind of forcing me to disconnect and just get before God and be with Him. Okay, I've I've got the... I'm able to do that now and again. But what about you? What is it that you do? What is it that you can do just to withdraw, just take that time out in your day? We absolutely need to answer that question for ourselves, every single one of us. And not just answer the question and say, This is what I need to do. We need to do it. <laughs> we just got to do it. <clears throat> well I tell you what, if we don't do it, you know, next January we'll be executive things where we are today. And the January after that will be still the second are. and the journey after that. You know what I'm saying. So that's our first goal. Our first goal then is to be with Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. The second goal is to become like Jesus, out of that place of being with him, out of that place of abiding in the vine. Your goal, and my goal as apprentices, is to become like our rabbi Jesus. Now, the church language for this, the kind of Christian language for this, is sanctification. Perhaps a more popular modern term would be spiritual formation. Uh, I'm one for finding new words for things. I don't know about you. but Another Dallas Willard quote on this. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process, so it's not something that happens like overnight. It's a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus our teacher. (laughs) Now this is the reality. We're all disciples of something. We're all disciples of something or somebody. You may... Want to think to yourself, now I'm my unique self. I'm just me, I'm an independent self. I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, or whatever. Do you know what? You're not. (laughs) You're not. Seriously, we we are all a um, kind of compilation, a coming together of a whole bunch of different influences. So the question is not, are you going to be formed? The question is, who is it (laughs) that you are being formed into? Who is it that you're being formed into? You know, if you have the ability to look forward in your life by plotting out your trajectory from where you are in terms of your character, you know, looking forward 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, down the road who or what are you becoming? Are you on track to become Jesus? Or, or, you know, or they... In terms of outworking, his character, his life expressed through your personality and through your character. Or is it somebody else? Or is it something else? I'd be willing to bet that I'm probably not the only person that really wants to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. From the inside out. Am I, am I alone in that? Anybody else? Yeah. There's a couple of people who want to be like, yeah, that's really cool. I'm really glad. <laughs> Does anybody else want to be like the person Jesus? <laughs> Does anybody want to be like the person that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount? You know, in Matthew's Gospel 5 3 7. That's what I want to do. You know, in, in kind of five or ten years' time as I look forward, I want to be the person that, find, that is kind of finding it more and more easy to love my enemies as opposed to wanting to hurt them when they hurt me or kill them when they hurt me or something like that. As I look forward, I want to be the kind of person who finds it more and more easier to trust God That trust that He cares for me, He's going to provide for me rather than me being filled with stress and anxiety over whether or not I can provide enough for, pay for the bills at the end of the, the month you know what I'm saying but here's the thing those sorts of changes they are more than just behaviour modification those sorts of changes they take time and it's not just about us trying harder oh, going to try harder to be like yeah, let's try harder I don't want to settle for behavior modification. What I want is really inward transformation from the heart out, you know? But what I also know is that it doesn't just happen. You know, kick back and it'll, just, it'll happen somehow on its own. It just doesn't do that. Or it just won't happen just over a couple of days. These things take a lifetime to outwork in our lives it takes practice it takes us partnering with God and partnering with our church community to actually become our true self to become the real men and women that God intended us to be so the first goal is to be with Jesus second goal is to be like Jesus and just finish with this third goal as apprentices of Jesus is to do what Jesus did Jesus' whole goal in this whole apprenticeship thing is that we carry on the Master's work. <laughs> you know, Jesus' his work wasn't just you know, teaching about God and the Bible. <laughs> Jesus' work also involved him ushering the kingdom of God in. It involved him bringing the rule and reign and heaven to earth. That was part of his work. And also, our goal as as his apprentices, isn't just to know about the Bible more. That's, that's not what this is about. It's not about us, you know, if anybody thinks that growing as is just filling our heads with more Bible knowledge, then we've missed it. It's not about filling our heads, you know, factual information about the Bible. Our goal is to actually join up with that what Jesus was all about in the world. And let me, there's a list, I've got a list. The things that Jesus was all about in the world. This is the kingdom work of Jesus. He preached the gospel. He taught the way. He healed the sick. He was casting out demons. It was eating and drinking with people who are far from God. It was doing justice. It was peacemaking. And it was also raising the dead. Anybody know that yet? Yeah. No. Nobody's... <laughs> as apprentices we can't expect that on day one or day two of our training that these things are going to happen but eventually our goal is to be able for all of us to do all of these things that's our goal as apprentices to Jesus now imagine a church community a whole church community here in Daventry that actually took Jesus serious and really pressed in to him and were actually living out and doing, actively doing these things within the larger community. Imagine a whole church living that way, doing it, doing the stuff of Jesus. Here is the real challenge: even in a small church community like this, there is such a diversity of people in, in this room. In this church, we have teachers, we have engineers, we've got programmers, we have well, we've got a pilot. Do you know you're a pilot connected to the church? Yeah. Pilot, we have care workers, designers, web designers, we have a pharmacist, mechanics, youth workers, social workers, and on and on and on. Just in a small church like this. But the thing is, if you're a teacher, as an apprentice of Jesus, your goal is not just to become a great teacher. That's not, not your goal. Your goal is to become a great teacher. And to grow and mature to a place where you have the capacity to join with Jesus' kingdom work within the context of your school where you work. If you're an engineer, if you're a programmer, uh, as an apprentice of Jesus, your goal isn't just to to be a great engineer and a great uh, programmer. Your goal is to be a great engineer, a great programmer, and to grow and mature to a place where you have the capacity to join with Jesus' kingdom work in the context of your, uh, your workplace, you get what I'm saying. Right? And that applies to all of us. If you're, if you're a full-time mum or dad, exactly the same. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Those three things, to be with Jesus. Second, everybody, to come like Jesus. And thirdly, to do what Jesus did. Becoming a follower of Jesus is about living it. Living it. Living living it, sorry. It's about living the life. And it's living a life built around those three goals. It's like those things become the central focal point of everything that we're about. We can't afford to make this thing a part-time hobby. It won't work. It, it won't work as a part-time hobby. It's kind of like thinking... Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is kind of cool. Like him, but I'm a real career-driven guy or, or gal. Um, or I'm really into playing rugby. Or I'm really into rock climbing. Or whatever you, your, your thing is, it doesn't work when this is kind of an add-on to the you know the big main thing kind of thing, you know. In actual fact, I think it's really, really hard to live it out that way and I don't think it will produce the kind of life that Jesus has on offer for us. Really following Jesus makes absolute sense when it is the whole point, when it is the big point in our lives. That doesn't mean that you've got to leave your job and we all have to become pastors in a church. (laughs) It just means that you follow Jesus as an engineer or you follow Jesus as a shop assistant, or you follow Jesus as a full-time parent, or whatever it is you do. You follow Jesus right there, in that place, where you are. It just means that the central point, the central focus point of your life, is that of apprenticeship to Jesus of Nazareth. That's the kind of life that Jesus has invited us all into. That invitation, that come and follow me, come and be my Talmudine, come be my disciple, come be my apprentice. That is to all of us. And what's more? Just think about the, the disciples in the Bible. You know, when we think about the disciples in the Bible, it's easy to get stuck in, with 12 people in your mind. Don't get limited to 12 people, the Peter James and so on. They were the first 12 apostles, yeah, but they were a subgroup of a much larger group of followers of Jesus. Jesus had many hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples right the way across Galilee. And what about the types of people that Jesus called? Jesus didn't go out for the best of the best of the best of the best top gun type people. Your academic achievement was not the thing that got you in with Jesus. It wasn't for those who made every effort to be morally pure And right, you know, do the good things and the right things. He called people who were liars and cheats, and he called people who had sketchy uh, moral backgrounds as prostitutes and tax collectors. He called those from within society that were rejected by larger society. His disciples were the average Jews in life, just typical people who gave everything up, left everything behind. And got up and followed him. You could argue um, that in many cases, amongst the, the original team, the original twelve, that they were actually the dropouts. They were the dropouts. They were the losers. These are the ones that actually uh, didn't cut it in their Bet Midrash <laughs> school classes. The very fact that they are fishermen or whatever they were doing meant that they were actually failed at that and they were told to go and pursue your family's uh, trade and what's more jesus called male female young and old the invitation was and is to all people the invitation is to all of us the invitation is not to become a christian the invitation is not to associate yourself with any religious system Your, the invitation is to himself the invitation is to come to him is to follow after him is to be with him it's to become like him is to do the things that he did but you know what that calling will take a lifetime to outwork. not 3 or 4 years master's degree to take a lifetime Come and follow me, is these words. All I want is your yes. Should we stand?